I think it, I think this is episode five of the Bookshelf Sisters podcast and the book we're talking about today is called After the Fire by Will Hill. It's very exciting this week because we've actually had a letter but we'll talk about that later at the end of the podcast. Absolutely. Okay well this book very briefly um, has probably been our most popular um, young adult read but at the same time it's been the hardest one to get everyone together to talk about it. Everyone enjoyed it, but everybody was doing different things on different nights. So getting people together to talk about it has been a bit more tricky. So we're going to try and pull together what we have discussed with various members of the book group. Okay. And our own opinions. And obviously our own opinions. Well, just a quick start. It's a fast-paced, exciting read. It's set in, um, it's set in two time zones before the fire and after the fire and it starts with i think it starts with after it actually starts with um a kind of during so it starts in italics with um the fire actually in progress and the main character trying to um release some of the hostages and then it goes to after. And the rest of the book really is retelling the events that led up to the fire through flashbacks to before and then carrying on in the rehab. Does that make sense, Chris? Yeah, so what we haven't said is that um, it's all set in an enclosed religious community um, now that makes it sound like monks and nuns. It's all said in a religious cult where um, they are being raided by some version of the FBI. Yes, that's right. I would say it's clearly set in America. Yeah, it's set in Texas. Sorry. Yeah. It's, it is written by a British author, but he's basing it on the events that happened in the Waco community where there was a siege followed by a fire in back in 1993 in Texas in America. And, and he's particularly looking at in this book the sort of psychology and all the stresses and the things that happened to the children in the cult. It's not really looking at the adults or the people that set it up so much but how it's affected the younger people in the cults, people that have been brought up or even born there. And it focuses on one particular character who wasn't born there, but she came there very young with her two parents. And it's sort of her story and how things led to the final sort of destruction of the cult. And that's not a spoiler, because that is in the first scene in the book. <laughs> no, it's definitely not a sort. I don't think there's all that much that we say that would be particularly a spoiler. But having said that, it is a gripping read. You just read one chapter, which is a sort of what happened before, or maybe what happened after, what's happening after, and there's some questions posed. And then it goes into the next bit, which sort of answers that, and then poses another question. And it, it's just sort of quite hard to put down um it's well written it's obviously it uses that device very effectively but obviously you've got to have the writing to make that work 
So I think that that gave it its big, you know, big hooks that kept you going all the way through. Plus, I think it's a subject that people are quite fascinated by, adults and adolescents both, because it just seems weird if you're not in it. And you think, why do people do these things? And it's perhaps looking at trying to understand that a little bit. I would agree that it's quite a fascinating subject and people do want to understand it. I'm not sure whether the book really answers that question because because we are reading it from the outside and although the protagonist is a member of the cult, she's also a a critical member of it, if you like, and she has come to realise that it's not that not everything there is as it should be and so it's quite hard for me as a reader to drop my preconceptions and say well why would why would people go along with that why would they do that and yet um I think it's it's very well known that people will follow a charismatic leader and do look for some kind of meaning in their life so I think that is what the book's trying to I think it's part of what the book's trying to show, but I think the book's more interested in telling a, a gripping story about how somebody survives and escapes from the cult rather than explaining why people actually join it in the first place. Yeah, I would agree with you there, definitely. Yeah, because the main character, she wasn't born into it and finding the things that eventually alienate her from it rather than the things that drew her into it, which she, it wasn't her choice to be part of in the first place. But as as a child, you tend to accept as normal what happens around you rather than thinking this is not like what anybody else does. But then as you become a teenager, you tend to rebel a little bit against that, whether you're in a cult or not. It was quite interesting how... It took quite a while for her to reveal everything and how she was really scared, even in the place that was supposed to be safety. She didn't trust them. She didn't trust them. It took her a long time to trust the people that were questioning her afterwards. And I did wonder when I read it, because she was locked inside there, whether that would seem the right thing to do. I'm trying to justify why they've locked them in. I can't really think other than for their own safety. But I think in terms of a book, it's there to show that there is a big, it's kind of a parallel between being in a cult and being in, I suppose, FBI interrogation. (laughs) Neither is particularly safe. And also she has been brought up to believe that people from the outside, outside their community are going to be liars, are going to be very hostile to them so she despite the fact that she has to a large extent um rebelled against the community she still hasn't been able to um divorce herself from everything she's been told and in particular there's one device in the book where she hears the voice of a cult leader all the time as a kind of um a commentary on everything she sees around her even though she's not in the community she's kind of taking it out there with her 
Yeah, and that's, that works really effectively, actually, because you sort of still feel his presence there and his, in, his influence on her. Yeah, as to the tension, as to the idea that something really bad might still be about to happen. <laughs> yeah, we thought all of the book was really strong, actually, apart from perhaps a little bit at the end, which we might come to in a minute. People discussing it talked to us about how it brought our images a little bit of the control and dehumanising of people that happened in the Holocaust because there was particularly harsh punishments if somebody went against the rules of a cult that they were put in this box in the middle of the heat and locked in there for several days. One person did that, one person quite early on, was severely ill afterwards, I think, and he ended up being taken out of a cult. And also comparing the fact that everybody really believed in it and they believed that the outside was hostile and they all had this common aim. Um, you could definitely sort of talk about that um, and compare it to radicalisation. Maybe it's a, sort of, it's a sort of subject that you need to talk about a bit with young teenagers and that this is a good sort of starting point perhaps. Yeah, it's certainly something around brainwashing and um, how very strong personalities can sway a group towards one kind of behaviour and also about people's need for a sense of belonging, a sense of feeling there's purpose in their lives. So, yeah, I think you could have a good discussion about that. I'm not quite sure where you'd go with the kind of uh, multiple wives and underage sex in the cult. Yeah, that was quite uncomfortable reading, really, because it was sort of suggested that Father John had all these children, but actually most of them weren't his children. And when girls reached a certain age, the men were allowed, certain men were allowed to go and have sex with them. And unless they were sort of groomed to be his bride, which Moonbeam in the story was supposed to be his next bride. Uh, and unless unless it was someone like that, that had to be kept pure for him, then they seemed to just allow that to happen. It was very strange. It wasn't gone into in lots of detail. It wasn't graphic at all. Um, but it was very much a thing that happened. It wasn't really discussed very much in detail, was it? No, no, there was the only details we got was nothing to do with that. That was more to do with um, abuse of one of the younger children by one of the older boys, which was almost could have been something that would could have happened in a different setting, like a school or whatever. Oh. But I think the um, the thing that was quite strange for me was that they went along with the fact that Father John said that all their wives the people who already been in the community for a while, all their wives would be his wives and um, all their children would be his children and that the wives had to move into his house. So it's kind of like a par thing, really. But also one of the things that precipitated the end of the book was the fact that he decided that Father John decided to take a new wife, which was going to be a 14-year-old. And... I couldn't really, we had a bit of a discussion about why he, why the writer would put that in rather than 
having the the hero Moonbeam, him announcing that she would be his next wife and that they would bring forward that marriage because she's still I think she's still underage. Yeah, I think she was a yeah, she's about seventeen. I mean I think that was sort of talked about in the book. And we did wonder whether he did that just to see her reaction because he sort of knew that she was not or that she was starting to question him. Whereas I, I was baffled by that logic because I thought if he thought she was questioning everything, he would bring forward their marriage so that he could have more control over her. And I, I've actually just thought of a kind um, explanation for it, which is that um, he could see that Honey, the 14-year-old, was being hit upon by other men in the cult and was in danger and therefore was going to marry her so she'd be off limits. Maybe that's too generous an interpretation because it doesn't really go with the rest of the, the character of Father John. But there are occasional bits in the book where he seems like a, an okay person, but mostly he seems to be in it for himself, for the power, and for the guns, as far as I could tell. He kept seeming to get deliveries of guns. I can't remember if he got deliveries of drugs as well. I can't remember if they were dealing drugs. But, yeah, he didn't see... Uh, most of the time, he didn't seem a very genuine person. No, and it was a bit weird actually that he would want all these guns for this final battle. He's a very, he was quite a strange character. Some of that is to do with the source in Waco. So um, I was just reading a little bit about that siege, which I only very vaguely remember from the past. And the cult leader was somebody who called himself David Koresh and did quite a few of the things that. Uh, father john does in this book so he had his own wives and he actually had his he was trying to have his own biological children to be the kind of the next generation i guess they were meant to be there for the millennium or something so they could be the leaders when when the apocalypse happens or whatever and in the actual siege the children who were let go were were not his children they were children in the community who weren't his children and the ones that he kept were the ones that were his children and they were the ones that didn't survive which is really sad because that was kind of a whole aim of the negotiations in the in the siege was to try and get all the children out and they didn't all get out um, but anyway I think some of the elements of Father John's character has been borrowed from David Koresh who was quite a, who was probably quite charismatic as well, but also very mixed up and very messianic. So it gets that sort of mixture of quite psychotic personality, but also quite powerful and forceful and someone who can actually persuade people to do what he wants them to do. But I think you're right that actually the book's focus wasn't necessarily on the whole purpose of the cult or um, it was really very much on the psychology of how uh, children can recover from a situation like that by revealing you know what's happened and how they were dealing with it at the time and sort of particularly as she this girl was the eldest girl and you also had a bit about her interaction with the others that got taken out and how there was one boy who I think he was the first one born actually in the place and 
he really didn't want to be out. He wanted to have risen to heaven with everybody else, as he, as he thought had happened. And he ended up killing himself. I think he was certainly the most um, mixed up of them all and the one who'd been most brainwashed and maybe if what this is about is about sort of the trauma and how you survive and also maybe the things that make it really difficult for you to survive after everything you believe in has been undermined. And so I didn't feel that the protagonist had ever totally believed. So in a sense, her journey, though very relatable and really interesting was not the journey of somebody who had been totally indoctrinated and I think it'd be hard to write a main character write the main character as someone who'd been totally indoctrinated so we had an example in scavengers well with Bagaboo or landfill you mean landfill landfill yeah who was born and brought up yeah yeah he could only believe what he heard from yeah from Bagaboo but in that in that case, we didn't hear his after story, did we? Anyway, I suppose the other thing, I think the main thing that um, people questioned about this book really was that I think everyone loved it, as you said, and they felt the central character was very relatable, but they did have some, didn't feel the ending maybe lived quite up to what they were expecting. They thought perhaps there would be a twist at the end or something, and I thought... The menace that certainly came from Luke, the character who was still like a representative of the cult within the children, was a little bit wasted by the fact that he eventually commits suicide. So it felt like there was going to be something awful that would happen, but actually all the awfulness was in the past. I think it might have made it a bit more of a... a... Uh, digestible read perhaps for the age group having it not being awful at the end yeah yeah so I had a couple of questions about the ending one was whether Moonbeam should have been punished for some of the things she did and the other was about um, whether it was actually the right ending which maybe is a bit of a spoiler, so perhaps we shouldn't discuss that too much. I mean, I think maybe she would have had to have been held a bit more account for her, what she did. Yeah, maybe punished is the wrong word. Yeah, so I think punished is the wrong word, actually. Yeah, it's a difficult one. Yeah, maybe there's not a lot we can say about that. <laughs> oh, the other thing I was interested in, in, in the book, she has a lot of thoughts in her head which are quite um, sweary and teen talk but she never expresses those verbally and I was just wondering if being brought up in the cult she would have developed that I'm sure a lot of teenagers probably do this and I was trying to find out whether they did really particularly if they're quite polite and generally don't swear in company whether they would actually be thinking some of those things in their head and uh, my friend who read it said that she actually felt that it sort of made her laugh. It made her, it sort of added a little bit of humour to it that helped see her as a real person as well. It sort of humanised her quite a bit, actually. So it was quite a clever device to use, really. It was a good technique. I think 
one of the, one of the people discussing it didn't know whether she'd have known this terminology, but I'm not so sure because I think she's in a cult, but she's in America. She's with people who've been out in the outside world forever. I know they're controlled over the sort of things they're meant to think and do. I don't know whether their language was controlled as maybe the children's language was controlled and that's why she thinks these things and doesn't say them. But it's quite possible that other people who have lived in the outside world will say things like no shit or whatever as a kind of natural phrasing. I think the grown-up men would have done anyway. The grown-up sort of men, and they would have said it around them probably, but I don't think it would have been language they'd expect the children or even accept that the children would use. And the other thing we did wonder was whether actually what she said she did was actually her doing it or whether it was... Yeah, whether she was covering for another character or not, because there were some discrepancies in her story that weren't, still weren't totally tidied up at the end of the book. I think it was interesting, and I don't. I think in lots of ways you don't need to discuss the nitty gritty bits like that, because it was fun. It was I didn't exactly say it was fun to read, but it was exciting to read. Yeah, and I think the sort of feeling that she had secrets, that Moonbeam had secrets, and that we were going to have to wait to hear what they are, and and even more about what happened with her and her mother and everything was just kept us reading. So I think that was a very well-structured book. That's probably all we need to say about it, really, isn't it? There's lots of things that you could talk about it, and I think it'd be a very interesting book for older children to read because they would be gripped by it, and I think they'd want to talk about it. And that's really... Yeah, they might want to talk about some of those details to each other. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that's part of the reason maybe why it won the Y... YA Book Prize, which it did in 2018. And because I didn't know much about the YA Book Prize, I looked it up. And it is the first prize in the UK and Ireland to specifically focus on fiction for young adults and addresses an important need for a prize in the growing YA and teen market. I think it's actually the first one for first award for a YA title written by an author living in the UK or Ireland. I was just having a look at what was what the latest award was doing. So they actually awarded a new prize in May, June this year. And that was to a book called Loveless by Alice Osmonds, which is a story of identity and self-acceptance. As protagonist Georgia and her friends discover true love isn't limited to romance. So you might think that's, that's kind of a little bit romantic compared to this one, but what I think what it's covering and what quite a few of the shortlists do is is young adults um, issues of identity so this I think is about someone who thinks maybe she's um, aromantic or asexual which is something that is now being recognized as a way of being for people and it doesn't mean they don't love other people it just means they don't want to be in a romantic sexual relationship necessarily it sounds like an interesting book it's interesting also that book she is set in someone going starting at university and i think another one another of them was as well so it's kind of taking ya up a little bit in the age range maybe i mean obviously to be read by people at school age but taking the protagonist up to a little bit older 
But they're not all like that. There was one that's about set in post-apocalyptic America called Wranglestone by Darren Charlton. And then there's a thriller, which is Good Girl, Bad Blood by Holly Jackson, which is a sequel to A Good Girl's Guide to Murder, which I don't know, I think maybe I've heard of. And there's one that I quite fancied reading, which was called Eight Pieces of Silver by Patrice Lawrence. And it's a, a mystery about... Um, two girls so the parents go away and then the protagonist's 18 year old stepsister disappears and then she goes off to find out what is the secret of her stepsister i quite fancied that one so yeah i might might read some of those so yeah there's a lot of interesting stories in that but i couldn't find any from osborne books <laughs> well you know we're getting into that genre you never know next year yeah, yeah, and obviously this one, After the Fire, was one. So it's not that Osborne books don't submit things to it, yeah. or at least they have submitted in the past. I think our uh, young adult section is growing, actually, our young adult authors. Uh, certainly the book we're going to read next, Ace of Spades. It sounds brilliant, and it has it has achieved really big sales in America already which is very unusual for our, our books. We're also actually doing a second book this month. It's called Girl in Real Life, and it's it's about a girl who's fed up with having her whole life put on social media by her parents, and it's her retaliation story. Again, I haven't read this yet, and I'm really looking forward to reading it. Yeah, sounds good. So we will probably talk about both of those next month. Right, can we talk about the letter then, Mary? Oh, yes. I, I actually sent a little email to um, Darren Simpson because he's got a new book out called The Memory Thieves and he was offering organisers some book plates to stick into their books. And I thought, oh, while I, send, while I make my request, I'll send him a link to our podcast. And I just sort of posed, I just said to him, oh, we posed some questions. What did you think of it? And... And the whole format. And he he sent us a lovely reply. Do you want to share it, Chris? Yeah. I mean, I wasn't going to read it all out. No, no just, just a little bit. Share highlights. Highlights. highlights, yes. Highlights. He said he enjoyed listening to it. That was a highlight for me. And he thought it was thoughtful, insightful and honest discussion with those light touches of sisterly disagreement. <laughs> yeah. So what I was interested in was, was maybe just a little bit of feedback on our discussions. So if you haven't listened to the... Uh, scavengers episode you should do so we had a bit of a debate over how old we thought landfill was i was i was going younger and younger as mary got older and older i think <laughs> and so very diplomatically he said that landfill's officially 11 um but he says the age is intentionally left vague so that readers can guess the age depending on how they relate to him that's a very fair point and then because I did a little bit about the the animals being named after authors, and he said it was just a little way for me to pay personal tribute, while also revealing a little something about Babagoo's character. His literary tastes feed into his bleak outlook and playfulness with language, and he agrees that yes, he is meant to be mentally ill and has a schizoid personality disorder, which which the book clearly shows. And then he said the publisher put in the notes on the authors, but. He says, I'm glad they're there, but agree, most of the authors won't be enjoyed by younger readers, but maybe some of those names will ring bells when they come across them as older readers, which, yeah, I think is a good reason to put them in. 
And so we will have to eventually do a little discussion for Memory Thieves. I think so, even if I don't do it as a book club book. I have ordered it as I'm going on holiday, so I've got a few reads now. (laughs) Excellent. Which I'm looking forward to. That's great. You're going on holiday again now. I know. (laughs) That's pretty good. (laughs) No, I'm sure I'll be going on holiday soon if we don't have another lockdown. So uh, something to look forward to as well. Excellent. Okay. Right. I think that's probably all from us. So we'll say goodbye. Yeah. Goodbye, everybody. See you again. Speak to you again in about a month or so. Okay. Bye. Bye.